Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Every year, one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts of up to 89% off USPS and UPS services, so your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. It's like your own personal post office. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Welcome to the Progressive Britain podcast. This is the podcast with the unpopular opinion that progressive centre-left politics has a lot to offer the modern world. This week, Progress Director Richard Angel chats to Greater Manchester Mayor Andy Burnham about homelessness and rough sleeping, while Progress Chair and Rural South MP Alison McGovern tells about technology and the Turing test. I'm Connor Pope, and this is Progressive Britain. Alison, over the weekend, you wrote a Medium article called We Robots. What inspired you to use your weekend that way? Well, you know, football international break, (laughs) (laughs) not much else on. A break from thinking about Brexit, which consumes my otherwise every waking hour. One of the big topics in public policy at the moment is artificial intelligence, technology and the rise of the robots, as it's been called. People also use the expression the fourth industrial revolution. Whenever I hear this rhetoric... It just irks me because technology is changing all the time. And this view has been created that somehow technology is changing faster than it ever has before right now. And that not only is it changing faster, but also that computers will now be able to break a barrier. So previously, there were things that only human beings could do. But now we're creating computers that can do all the things that human beings can do. I think there's two problems with that. Firstly, that is a massive misreading of history because at all points, people have described technological change as being somehow exponentially more fast than it has ever been before. And secondly, you know, right at the dawn of the invention of the computer, Alan Turing, who was one of the most important pioneers of computing technology, described himself as trying to build an electronic brain. It precisely was because he wanted to build a machine that could do everything that the human brain could do, that he set on the path of finding a way to replicate the logical structures of thinking in the brain using electronic valves and other devices. And so this idea that somehow we used to have machines that could do computation, but now machines will have intelligence, will be able to think, that's just like 
a total misreading of how computing began, which was all about creating machines that could independently think. Just because people have said in the past that technology is going exponentially faster than ever before, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's not true now, does it? No, that doesn't mean it's not true now, but I would just say, well, show me the evidence for that. It's obviously a testable proposition when the periods of fastest technological change might be, but it sort of depends on how you think you should measure that speed. I mean, take, for example, the moment at which we're able to send telegram to somebody instead of having to send the message by horseback. I mean, that must have seemed like incredible technological change, whereas in computing capacity, we're talking probably in proportion less quick change, I would argue, than than that. Now, in the end, I'm not very interested in, in that because if you look at, say, autonomous vehicles, mm. for example, I think somehow in people's heads, they think of the changes that are happening in cars as, you know, today we drive cars in the way that we always have. And in a few years' time, we'll have cars without drivers and they'll drive themselves. But Again, it's a fundamental misreading of what's actually going on because automation is already happening in cars. So, for example, you have technology now that has like lane correction. So if you veer slightly out of the lane, the car will right itself back in the middle of the lane. It's a relatively straightforward piece of technology to have in a vehicle that you and I could go to a showroom now and buy for relatively reasonable cost that we could buy a car that would park itself. So we have autonomous vehicles now and the reason why this matters is because when people talk about technology, often they're not really interested in what technology means for public policy. What they're interested in is creating an impression of themselves as a politician, as being someone who's future focused, somebody who's all about the future. And it's spin, basically. And uh, that's what my article was about. And so fundamentally, your argument is everyone should calm down. Robots are fine. Yeah. They're not going to take your jobs. Yeah. Basically, the other stat that really, really, really winds me up when politicians use it is that thing about in uh, 20 years time, 60 percent of the jobs that will be done then, you know, haven't even been created today. Well, how many of the jobs that we do now were even conceived of 20 or 30 years ago? If we told people about podcasting even 10 years ago, I think it would have seemed quite amazing. But that's just what happens in life. You know, my great granddad uh, on the rail industry was a wheel tapper. You know, he used to go and bang wheels to make sure that there weren't any cracks in them. Like that job is long gone. It was it was long gone by the time my dad started working in the rail industry. It's, this is the natural process of technological change. And people shouldn't get so hung up about it. What they should focus on is getting education right so that people don't just learn about today's technology, but they learn about the fundamental underlying principles of how we think and how the world works. So that it's not just that they're able to program a computer or work alongside a robot, but rather we need to make sure that people have the ability to create robots for themselves and to invent new things. And that means understanding the fundamentals of logic. I realise this is completely off topic and we do need to move on in a sec. But can you just explain wheel tapping a bit more? Was it the sound <laughs> that the, the wheels would make I think would we'll, alert I think, you to a crack? I think, I think we'll let people Google that one. Okay, fine. Well, if you do want to have your say on this topic, I'm sure it's one that we will come back to again. Do send in your thoughts to at Progress Online on Twitter or forward slash Progress Labour on Facebook. Or send them in indeed via email to office at progressonline.org.uk. We always want to hear from you and we do a review show later in the week where we read out some of the best comments and give out some prizes. And people can read my article. 
We Robots by looking it up on my Twitter, which is Alison underscore McGovern. We will also have it underneath on the episode notes for this show. But stick with us because next we'll be hearing from Andy Burnham. My name is Richard Angel, the Director of Progress. The Progressive Britain podcast this week is joined by Andy Burnham, the Mayor of Greater Manchester. Progress listeners will know him as a former Health Secretary, an MP since 2001, and somebody who's been a committed campaigner on social justice issues for a long, long time now, and led Labour to an amazing victory in his home city up in Greater Manchester. Andy has made part of that campaign raising the salience of the issues of both rough sleeping and homelessness, two slightly different but interconnected issues. It was an issue that had almost gone away under the Labour government, but has doubled since the Tories came into power in 2010. Local authority figures seem to suggest that at least 4,000 people sleep rough on our streets, and other voluntary organisations suggest the figure is much, much higher, and our experience would suggest the same. But it seems that public policy is playing a role in this phenomenon on our streets. Are the government making it worse, Andy? And what's happening to the public sphere that means this phenomenon is real on our streets? They are making it worse, Richard. I mean, it's a problem that doesn't have one single cause. So clearly the cuts to a range of services in the last few years has torn a hole in the safety net that used to be there beneath all people and all communities. And some people are now falling through those holes and ending up on the doorways and cuts to mental health particularly drug and alcohol services really played a part in that universal credit and all the changes to the benefit system have already added to the problem they will make it a whole lot worse if they carry on with the plans that they have for universal credit but i think it is deeper and it's wrong i think just to say oh it's all the tories and it's all the cuts of the last few years as a country i think we failed to regulate work properly and housing Specifically, we've allowed a culture of casual work in this country. So there are many people, far too many in my view, living from one week to the next not knowing how much money they will bring in and whether or not they can pay their rent. That's number one. Number two, those people are often living in private rented accommodation and so living in fear of being evicted from one week to the next because there's very, if any, regulation of private landlords. So it's this whole combination of things that is leading to these record numbers of people on our streets. And it's a problem that requires a whole societal response. So you've tried to lead that response, not least rhetorically and through the organisation of the mayor, but have set up a fund for Greater Manchester and I'm contributing, I believe, 15% of your salary towards that. I am. It didn't go down well at home, but yes, I am. (laughs) (laughs) What's your kind of aspiration for that fund in the short, but medium and longer term? It's clearly and primarily about raising funds to aid the work to tackle rough sleeping and homelessness. But I am also trying to kind of reset politics here in saying, look, you know, lead from the front, you know, set that example, if you like, and then ask others, look people in the eye and say, look, will you help us and do the same? And so it is about you know, resetting the whole dial, really, and, and going at things in a different way. I don't think we will solve these issues just by saying, right, here's a new strategy document and here's X many million pounds of public money. And that's the old way of doing things. And I just don't think that will work. You know, if you're going to tackle something as complex as this, you need to unlock the contribution of the business community, the the voluntary sector, the community sector, individuals. That's the way you've got to work. And it's how I want to work on all policies, actually, in Greater Manchester. But this is the most pressing. And therefore, we're kind of going straight to this approach with rough sleeping. Don't tell your wife you're going to keep putting 15% of your <laughs> no, salary it's into these. bone of uh, running contention. <laughs> but, you know, we've talked about it. And she, I think, we, you know, it just feels right. I mean, society has become too unequal. 
in terms of pay differentials at the bottom and at the top. And it's true in the public sector as well as the, as the private sector. And at some point, it does have to be said, you know, I think some people are earning too much. You know, Andrew Adonis has got some criticism for veering into this space, but people need to listen to what he's saying because the salaries at the very top end have got out of hand and there is too much insecurity at the bottom end and a change needs to be made and we need to have a flatter, more cohesive structure both within organisations and within society. And the moment has come for that to be articulated in word and deed. And so other cities that would want to take inspiration from what you've done, what do you think is there to replicate or to learn from the start of the work of this fund and what it's doing? Well, that's a really interesting question in that you know, we're on a journey at the moment. Ivan Lewis, who will be known to the listeners of this podcast, and Councillor Beth Knowles, a councillor who'd done a lot of work on this issue in Manchester, very passionate about the whole whole thing. They're heading up for me something called the Homelessness Action Network. So that is a collection of organisations that are already out there working on this issue in Greater Manchester. So what we're trying to do is to bring them together, encourage them to, to work collaboratively, and we're also asking them to co-write our strategy with us. So, you know, it's, it's true co-design. You know, it's about saying, get people with lived experience, those who know the challenges, to, to write a plan for Greater Manchester to tackle with the issue. In that, I think there is something really powerful about how politics needs to kind of reinvent itself at the bottom level and come back with much stronger ways of making policy so that there's true ownership of the policy across all of Greater Manchester once we've agreed it. So the nature of rough sleeping in particular is it draws people from everywhere. It doesn't matter what borough you might be in, you might find yourself in a situation. But a city like Manchester draws them very much to the centre. Is it time for those 10 boroughs, probably through the mayoral office, to pull their budgets, their powers, their resources on this issue to really tackle it as a Greater Manchester challenge absolutely so alongside the action network that's been set up i chair something called the public services reform board in greater manchester which probably uniquely in the country i would say is once every month or so the entirety of the public sector comes around one table and talks about issues and homelessness is one of the issues i've set that group as part of public service reform you know the one thing you find if you go out into the streets into city center manchester as i do on a walk around every three months you cannot generalize every story is different People have ended up there for a whole host of different reasons. Many are care leavers, many are young LGBT people who've been bullied, ex-forces are there, people fleeing domestic violence. It, you know, There are just so many reasons why people are there. So you cannot come forward with a generic approach to that. You have to personalise the support and you have to start to work with the individual and build support around them. And I think we are beginning to pioneer a new approach through this approach to public service reform that we're bringing forward so it is about giving them housing security to begin with but then a whole range of other support to help people build a new social network get more confidence and self-esteem get help with addiction or whatever else it might be so people call it the housing first model it it is the right way to go and we're really building it with our public services as true partners in that and so the theme of this podcast is for centre-left people to come together look at big challenges facing this country and we believe we've got some of the solutions to those. So what can a listener to this podcast do to help give power to your elbow, labour on the front bench or their local community tackle the situation with rough sleeping right now? There's many ways in which they could help, Richard. I mean, the um, obvious way is they could make a donation to the Mayor's Homelessness Fund. We'll uh, put a link on the podcast. Thank you that. very much. That, that would be much appreciated. But also perhaps volunteer with one of the groups who are out there working every night of the week and they are we've got some fantastic groups in Greater Manchester 
Coffee for Craig, Street Support, the Booth Centre, some wonderful organisations who are working and, you know, to have people out volunteering or just contributing to our network in any way. There are, there are a number of ways in which people could help us. Obviously, donations of buildings, if the people know anybody who has built, we're open to any uh, offers. The point being, we want to show that Labour doesn't have to be in government for Labour values to make a difference. This isn't a problem that was actually part of the devolution deal. You know, it wasn't necessarily meant to be in my policy portfolio, but we are going to make it so to show that we can make a difference. And I think we should do so with pride in what Labour did in government in the past. We did do something about this issue, as you rightly said at the beginning. We did show it could be brought right down. And I think we also should remember that and not distance ourselves from, from some of the great things that the Labour government did. It's a great combination of values into action, but a sense we can have agency over this. We, we can, if we're ambitious for tackling big challenges like this, we can solve them. And that seems to be my takeaway. Oh, I t- totally agree. I mean, I think for me... Politics should move into the phase now of direct action. That's what the public want. They want to make an immediate difference. You know, they want to join something that will make a difference tomorrow, not wait three years for somebody to get in power and write a manifesto. So I think we've got to you know, capture that and be the agents of, of change. And I think it's possible, isn't it, to you know, think differently about how we work, think differently about how we support the community and voluntary sector, put our values into action every day of our lives, is what I would say. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. That was Greater Manchester Mayor Andy Burnham talking to Progress Director Richard Angel. And as Richard said, homelessness and rough sleeping are two interconnected but different issues, with potentially tens of thousands of people across the country technically homeless and living in temporary accommodation at any one time. Anyone who's at Labour Party conference in Brighton in September, I'm sure will have noticed what a rise in rough sleeping there's been there over the past few years. Alison, what do you think is the biggest driver of the increase in both homelessness and rough sleeping? Well, I think Andy described it really well in that there probably isn't one driver, but it's a hundred different changes that the Tory government have put in place 
that have all made rough sleeping more likely and pulled away some of the things that people had to help people who were rough sleeping. If I had to put my finger on the one underlying cause of rough sleeping, I would say that it was the Osborne cuts because I think what Andy describes is in a way trying to replicate what was there under the last Labour government. So local authorities used to be able to work with central government and a whole host of charitable third sector social enterprise organisations that were tailored to their area that they would be able to fund to commission services and to make sure that if somebody was found rough sleeping, that they could have a bit of support to get up off their feet. And what happened was that Osborne came in in 2010 and doubled the speed at which we would close the budget deficit at the time. And a vast amount of those cuts came from local government. Say you're a charity that helps people with mental health conditions, specifically those who have some experience of rough sleeping. And say you were getting a grant from your local authority to support that work. That local authority would have almost certainly had to cut that grant almost to nothing. Now, David Cameron's Big Society idea was supposed to mean that all of these organisations that were doing this work in partnership with central government or local government would somehow be able to access charitable funds so that as this, the state withdrew, Cameron said, the society, big society, would step in. But the truth is that in Britain there are a lot of charitable efforts, but most people think of those things as extra to what the government should do, not instead of. And I think most people in Britain be they Labour or Tory or whatever, think that it's the government's job to help people who have been forced to, to sleep rough. I'll give you one example from, from my constituency. A young man came to see me who had been sleeping rough in Birkenhead and he had just turned up at my office and he'd been told by the council that he needed to go to the homeless hostel. That was his option to get a roof over his head. But he had left the forces with post-traumatic stress disorder. He desperately needed peace and quiet. And the idea of being in a hostel with other people who he didn't know was incredibly stressful to him. And we spent a long time on the phone trying to find another support service for him to get him into any kind of temporary accommodation but not a hostel with loads of other people that he didn't know. And it was impossible. And I'm really ashamed that he had to leave my office that day without an answer because that's what Osborne's withdrawal of all those that plethora of services means it just means that there's far fewer options now if you get in a mess so I think it's fabulous that we've got Andy doing the job that he's doing in Greater Manchester but you know rough sleeping is up by 134 percent on 2010 so if people walk around city centres and they think they're seeing more people rough sleeping. They're not imagining it. That's what the annual count tells us. And I think whilst, you know, local leaders will be able to do a lot and I've, I've got real faith where we've got Labour councils and Labour mayors, I think you need the heft of central government as well. And I think we'll really only get a solution when we have a Labour government. My first Labour conference in Brighton was in 2009. And I've been obviously a couple of times back since then. I just think it's remarkable to see. It really didn't feel like such an issue then that you, you would see walking around. 
And when I was went back this year, I just could not believe the the change that you'd seen. Connor, you're you're a bit a bit younger than me, and <laughs> uh, and I can only say that it, at the moment it feels like my teenage years on repeat. You know, mm. we've got the kind of dog end of a pretty grim Tory government. We've got public service cuts that at first people thought might have been manageable, but have actually turned out to be pretty awful and rough sleeping massively on the rise. I mean, it's like the mid-90s again. But so much of the infrastructure for dealing with homelessness seems to rely on local services run by local government. And obviously, local government has seen the kind of brunt of so many of the cuts over the past seven years. But do you think maybe with a move towards uh, the kind of metro mayors and that kind of thing, that actually giving more people power in those kind of positions and creating these new roles might do well in terms of solving it. Because I know that certainly, obviously Andy Burnham uh, talks about it a lot, but uh, it seemed to come up as a big topic in most of these Metro Mayor elections in May. Yeah, that's right. Look, in the end, what Andy said before was it wasn't even in the devolution deal. There's nothing about homelessness or rough sleeping in the devolution deal, but it's because he's a Labour person with Labour values. He can't stand by and not try and do something about it because you only need to walk around Manchester to know that it's a problem. I think there's a lot of underlying issues to do with mental health services as well. I think that there's a big gap in terms of low level of support that allows things to escalate and whether there's more that because health is in the Manchester devolution deal. So whether there's more that Andy will be able to do about that in the long term because of devolution, maybe. But I think actually it's less it takes devolution to deal with this and more it takes Labour values to deal with mm. this because the short-sightedness of the Tories on rough sleeping, you know, it's just evident and there for us all to see. Well, we need to finish that discussion there as well. But if you want to take part in this debate, do email us at office at progressonline.org.uk or tweet us at progressonline or leave a comment on iTunes and don't forget to subscribe and write and on Friday's show we'll be giving out a prize to one of the iTunes comments. Every Tuesday, Connor asks a fabulous political pub quiz question, which is then answered on Friday's follow-up extra show. This week, we've got a slightly different style of question. Essentially, what we've got is a story, and I want people at home to identify the characters in the story. So what this is like really for political geeks. Yeah, this yeah, yeah absolutely. Like top geek knowledge. So what happened was 32 years ago, a fight nearly broke out in the voting lobby of the House of Commons. Wow, that would never happen today. <laughs> <laughs> Between two MPs. And what, what happened, there'd been some sort of television disagreement about internal Labour Party rules, again, which would never happen in today's climate. <laughs> we just set Jess Phillips on them. <laughs> <laughs> but so what I've got is uh, quotes from the two people involved in the altercation describing what happened from their point of view. So the first person said that the other person in the altercation came up to him and said, hello, mate. And he replied, don't you mate me? And challenged him to have it out man to man. But the other person put his hands up and ran away. Ooh. The other person claims that what happened was this guy came and threw him up against the wall in a voting lobby and said, I'm an amateur boxer. I can sort anybody out. At which point someone said, what do you do in your spare time? And he said, I'm an amateur runner and left. <laughs> and so... I want listeners at home to tell me who they think the two MPs involved in that altercation in 1985 so were. You, so you can narrow it down by who was in the Parliamentary Labour Party in 1985. Yeah. Which after the 83 election was not that many. <laughs> <laughs>
there has been a debate raging on Twitter about the outcome of last week's pub quiz question. Has when, there uh, been a steward's inquiry? It's not quite that bad. I feel I've covered my back a bit, but there is a big Huddersfield versus Bowl server fight Ooh. raging across social media. But uh, I obviously just want to outsource all of these problems, you know, if anyone wants to complain. Isn't it that it, Joe Oliver? It was, yeah, it is, it, it is Joe Oliver. And he's, he's, he's trying to stay out of it, but it, this is definitely his fault. But I stand by the answer to last week that it was Bolt Over. One of these days I'm going to get to meet Joe Oliver. <laughs> so send your answers to at Progress Online or at Connor Pope on Twitter or email office at progressonline.org.uk and you could win a progress mug that's all for this week but we've been delighted to have andy burnham joining us today me and richard will be back on friday to respond to your comments and dish out some prizes so do get in touch and don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on itunes You've been listening to the Progressive Britain podcast with me, Alison McGovern, with Richard Angel and Connor Pope. The music was When in the West by Blue Dot Sessions, licensed under Creative Commons. And many thanks to the brilliant Caroline Crampton, who produced this podcast. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.